Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Well, once again, thank you for having me here today. I, I love coming over here. It's just a, it's a wonderful place, and the energy here is just marvelous, so I really enjoy coming. Thank you so much. I want to say good morning and uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And besides being Father's Day, it's also U.S. Open Sunday. And uh, as soon as we, the service is over and have a little lunch, I'm looking forward to plopping myself in front of a TV screen and seeing how that all pans out this afternoon. Today's lesson is the parable of the prodigal son. I think for me, this is one of my favorite parables in the, in the New Testament. I don't know if you realize, but there are some 46 parables in the New Testament. Obviously, clearly, Jesus gave great emphasis on the idea of using a parable as a teaching device. In Matthew 13, 34, it is written, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables, he did not say anything to them without speaking in parables. Now, the parable of the prodigal son is the third of a group of parables found in the Gospel of Luke, comprised of the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, also called the prodigal son. The word prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And a parable is defined as a story with a moral or a spiritual meaning. This means that it's not what the story is saying or the event itself that's important. What is important is the underlying message that they're trying to get to, to convey to you. That is what is important. Now let me apply this concept to the Bible as we do here in Unity. In Unity we teach that it's not, the, it's not important whether an event in the Bible actually took place or not. That is not what's important. The important is what is the message behind this. Now get this, even if the story was completely made up, now I know that sounds strange, but the truth is, many, many, many biblical scholars believe that some of the stories may have been made up or exaggerated or changed or any number of things for the sake of making a point because that's what the important thing is, making the point. Now, so a story doesn't have to be factually true to have great significance and great underlying spiritual message. Let me give you another story that maybe that you know and might help you to clarify this point about whether something's true or not and valuable or not. And that is the story of a race that took place between a hare and a tortoise. Now, we've all heard this story. Now, did, did, that story, did the actual event actually take place? Probably not, more than likely. Now, I don't know for a fact, but <laughs> probably, I'm going to go with probably not. And, you know, does it really matter whether it did or didn't? No, it doesn't really matter. That's not what the story is trying to convey. In fact, if you actually focus on the event, on the outer, then you're basically missing the entire point of the story. In spiritual 
or moral stories, if you focus on that, then you're missing the point. This is why in unity we say it doesn't matter necessarily whether there was a virgin birth or not. And I know some of the, for people who are not too familiar with these concepts, they sound a little controversial, but really they're not. So the, the important, again, is what the message is trying to say. And the story of the, of the hare and the tortoise is really a story about perseverance, as you know. It is a story about overcoming seemingly, seemingly insurmountable odds. It is a story ultimately about hope. How can a turtle possibly beat a, a rabbit in a race? And yet it does. Most people grew up, in unity, grew up in traditional Christianity. I did, I grew up in the Catholic Church. And uh, yet we're here today, and that probably means that somewhere along the way you realize, you came to the realization that tradition focuses more on the event, on the outer, instead of the inner, what's the, what the message is trying to tell you. Now, I say this all the time at Unity Fire, and it's really one of my cornerstones right now because I've been studying a lot about early, the early Christian movement. And I've come to the realization that the life and the teachings of Jesus and the story created about Jesus are two different things. They really are. And today I want to use the parable of the prodigal son to exemplify this point. The question is very simple. What kind of God is God? Is God the loving God of the New Testament? Or is God the judgmental and often temperamental God of the Old Testament? Tradition tells us, as you know, that after our life we will be judged and we will spend eternity in accordance to whatever it is that we lived. But where did they get this idea? Is this what Jesus taught? We'll see. You know that I'm a philosophy major and that, again, I study theology every day, actually. Pretty much, every day. Not pretty much, every day. <laughs> and theologically, this subject is called theodicy. I don't know if you're familiar with the word. In plain English, it means divine justice. And it has baffled mankind since the beginning of time. The confusion lies in the fact that we have created God in our image. We think God is like we are. When something happens to us, we want retribution. We want to get even. We want to settle the score. We go into that old mode of thinking, the old law of an eye for an eye. That's the dark side of humanity, of humanity. And the question is, does God have a dark side too? Is he capable of such a thing? Does he need to settle scores? Christ Christianity was supposed to have been based on the life of Jesus. And what happened was it was based on the teachings of Paul. Paul was an apocalyptic Jew. He believed in that end time theology called eschatology and where the forces of good are fighting the forces. You know the story because that's what tradition tells us. And in the end, of course, one will, the good will overcome and all this stuff and will be judged, all this stuff. That's the apocalyptic view 
model of the universe. And Paul was an apocalyptic Jew. So what he did, he took Jesus and stuck him into this model, and that's the model we ended up with. So today's lesson is divine justice, theodicy. And I believe in this parable, Jesus is giving us the answer to this age-old question. How does God deal with this? The parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 31. I will read it for you. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant land, and there squandered the wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, the pig is particularly a, a disdained uh, animal in the Jewish uh, uh, way of seeing things, so it adds to the bummerness of what he was doing. Put it that way. That's why they used the pig as an example. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to the father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to him, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened cow and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, who was in the field, when he heard all this commotion, he ran and asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returns, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf and, and serve it for, for, as a meal for everyone. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Interesting. These are presumably the words of Jesus. 
It's a parable, and remember, parables intend to convey a spiritual or a moral lesson, as noted. So what's the lesson? Let's break it down from a unity, new thought perspective. Let me bring in a pro. He's one of the best unity ministers and teachers that has ever been, Eric Butterworth. In Discover the Power Within You, Eric Butterworth first addresses the list of characters in the story and says this about them. The father in the story is the divinity in you. And the prodigal son is the human side of you that forgets its divinity and experiences separation and ultimate want. Thus, the father is the son. When the son comes to himself, he awakens from his ignorance of himself, realizes his innate divinity, and returns to the start of unity. He is received with open arms. There is no sense of guilt. The father doesn't say, now you are going to be punished for your sins. No, he showers him with blessings and cries out, my son who was dead is now alive. The human consciousness, listen to this, the human consciousness has awakened to its true nature. And the very hills clap their hands for joy. Can I get a hallelujah? There you go. <laughs> Seriously, though, that, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. Now, the story is trying to tell us many things. For me, I think the most obvious is that, is the reconciliation based on the idea of, the, of God, the Father's unconditional love. There is also free will, the Spirit's need to express itself which is represented by the journey into the far country, as it says, which I take to mean this spirit decided to go out into the manifest world. Because this is the world, when people ask you, why are we here? Because this is the manifest world. This is the expressive side of being. And here, we can express ourselves and our ideas take form. This is why we come here. This is why he went to the far country to experience those things. So yes, we do squander things. Yes, we do make mistakes. But that doesn't seem to matter to the father in the story. That is what the story is telling us. We are always welcome back home when we realize our innate divinity, as it said. As Butterworth points out in the book, this is very, very important. The father doesn't even acknowledge the son's plea for forgiveness. The father will have no part of the conversation as if it doesn't exist because for the father, it doesn't exist. That is very strange if that's something you've never heard before. But it's absolutely true. Let me reread that line from, from, from the parable itself. It said, the son said, Father, I have sinned against you, I haven't, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. So there's his petition. Here, that's his plea. What does the father say? Quick, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a, finger, a ring on his finger, sandals, get the calf, all that stuff. 
doesn't even address the petition. That's very interesting. What Jesus is trying to tell us here, as a spiritual teacher, is he's trying to explain to first century man in terms they can understand what the Father God is like. For most of us, the idea that God does not even acknowledge or is not aware of the Son's misgivings is a hard thing to understand because we have such a deep-seated root belief in the idea we've been told always, over and over that God keeps tracks of things. That he's got a book on each and every one of us. And every time we make a mistake, I, I saw that. <laughs> you know? That's not a very comforting feeling, I'm sorry. That's a big bummer. I mean, this guy knows everything and is all powerful and he's keeping track of you like, oof. Of course, tradition says, yes, that is true. However, if you ask for forgiveness or do this or do that or believe in this or believe in that, then everything will be okay. But is that what Jesus said? I don't think so. Butterworth writes about the son's feeling in our consciousness we may feel guilty. We may be perfectly willing to take our punishment to become one of the hired servants. The fact is we have already received our punishment. Again, listen to this. For sin, it's its own punishment. And righteousness is its own reward. What do we say in unity? We're not punished for sin. We're punished by sin. That's different. Because that, we are living that which we do. And if we are in that sin mentality, then the sin mentality expresses itself or manifests itself in us or around us, and we live it or we experience it. So that's what it means. For sin is its own punishment and righteousness its own reward. Now, there's also famine in the story. This represents a lack mentality. And, but it does also serve to ultimately awaken the son to his true nature. Sometimes, you know, you've heard the story. People got to hit rock bottom. They find Jesus, or they find God lying in the gutter. And that's what happened to this guy, basically. Now, there's also resentment, resentment in, in, the, in the story by the son, the older son, because he's wanting to settle things. You know, and, and both of the, of, of the sons see the guilt, feel the guilt or resentment and stuff, but, but, the, but the father does not. Butterworth says, in the story, when the brother hears all the commotion, he comes to see what is happening. When he finds out about the big return party, he asks his father, he's not happy about it. He's not happy about it at all. He's saying, here I am. I've been working for you all this time. And, and you've never even offered me a single thing. And the father says, but everything I have is yours. It's all yours. And isn't that what the Bible tells us? That it is God's uh, good pleasure to give us the kingdom? That's what it's talking about. That everything is in, is accessible to us. That is the theory here. But we shut everything out. Again, this is theory. Something I've said, why, why can't we do it? Because we're trained so otherwise that we were all messed up real bad. 
So there's that certain resentment from the, from the son, and maybe part of it, Butterworth says, that he feels, well, that he, maybe he's, he says, maybe he's a prodigal at heart, but didn't have the nerve to, to go and do what he really wanted to do. And so he saw that he did, and he kind of got, kind of got away with it, if you will, and he said, well, hey, a minute, what's up with this? But you know, I took, I took the chaplaincy program at Valley Baptist just to have that experience, and one of the days we talked about the five regrets of dying. And it was happening when I was preparing this lesson, I said, thank you for, for assisting me with this. Uh, I will put in my lesson. And it said this, number one, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Two, I wish I didn't have to work so hard. Three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Remember, these are the top five regrets of a dying person. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish I, wish I had let myself be happier. Hmm. Kind of sounds like the, like the older son. It really does in this story. On the older son, I personally, when I read it and was studying for all this stuff, I, I, I got a different take on it. Because one of the things that we teach in, in Unity and New Thought is total responsibility. You know, that you are, you are the master of your own fate. You are responsible for, for your own life. Yes, you have the, the guidance of this inner divinity that you have, this God. But ultimately, it is you, as I can tell people all the time. It's like somebody can talk to you about swimming all day long. But you're not going to learn how to swim until you jump into the water. And it's the same with this. You must experience it. And so he's telling his son, why did why do I, why do I have to? You, if you wanted a goat, grab the goat. Do what, if that's what you want to do, do it. I wasn't going to hold you back. I was going to tell you, hey, you're taking my stuff because everything I have is yours. So there's that lack of of being, taking the initiative that we take in unity. Now let me wrap, start to wrap this up a little bit. Earlier I asked, what kind of God is God? In James 3.11 in the Bible it says, does a fountain bring forth both sweet and bitter water? In this story, God the Father is the fountain, obviously. And the question is, can an all-loving God who requires be one something that requires retribution, some sort of a payment in order to make amends. That sounds like sweet and bitter water coming from the same place. Hmm, interesting. I also told you that there's a big difference between the teachings of Jesus and the life created about Jesus. So let me put these two things together. And then we have on the one hand a loving God, a forgiving God, based on the words of Jesus. On the other hand, we have the idea of a God who is capable of handing out eternal damnation. During this one very limited lifetime, now, sweet and bitter water. This is, presumably this is God, both these points of view, which are diametrically opposed, both coming from God. So the question is, which one do you want to believe? The words of Jesus or the ones, I don't know who made up, about this story? So what kind of God is God? 
So you can't have it both ways. Personally, I like to take up Jesus. In the end, the story of the prodigal son is the story about the nature of God. In unity, we teach that the nature of God is absolute good and everywhere present. If you look at God from that perspective, you get a, a glimpse as to how God cannot see evil in the sense that this father did not see what or concern himself with what the son had done. These are very difficult things to understand, especially given that we've been trained for so long to the contrary. I came across this uh, idea one time and I thought, well, that kind of helps. And sometimes, you know, little visual things help you to clarify things because these are difficult things to understand. An absolute God that doesn't even acknowledge evil, doesn't know anything about it in, in, in some sense. How is such a thing possible? Well, in, in Unity and New Thought, we use uh, light and darkness as an example of this. We say, if you walk into a dark room, because, wait, wait a minute, see, darkness, darkness is not something. It's not a thing. What darkness is, is a lack of something. It is the lack of light. That's what we say. So if you walk into a dark room and you flip the switch on, what happens? The darkness disappears. Did the light have to fight with the darkness in order to get rid of it? Did the darkness gather itself in the corner and say, we got to put the troops together and fight this light stuff? No. It just vanishes. How does such a thing work? So I thought, well, that's a really wonderful, wonderful explanation of that. And then I got another further example of that using the same type of an idea. And I said, that is very interesting. You see, the prodigal son was saying that God doesn't even acknowledge the, the bad, evil, not aware of it. I said, but how? Well, think about it as the light. Is the light aware of the darkness? No. Because in the light, there's always light. The light does not know darkness. I say, well, thank you. At least for me, that's very helpful. And, I'm, and I feel good about that kind of stuff. So I'd like to end today by telling you that we serve a loving God, by the way. Just in case you weren't clear on which one to pick, go with A. <laughs> No, and, but I'd like to, the final words I'd like to say, it comes from the Gospel of George Strait, okay? <laughs> and it says this, let me tell you a story about a father's love. He says, you see, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. <laughs>